Hello and welcome to Behind the Hospital Curtain, the NNUH podcast, where we invite experts from across our hospitals to talk about different aspects of healthcare. I'm Susie Hall and today we're discussing sustainable healthcare. Now, how bad do you think the healthcare industry is for the environment? And what are we doing here at the North Norwich to try to lower our carbon footprint? I've sat down with Ellen Goodwin, our sustainability manager, and Emma Jarvis, environmental arts manager. They give me some quite shocking stats and have definitely got me thinking about small changes I can personally make to help the trust on its way to be more green. I hope you enjoy the episode. So Ellen, let's talk about healthcare in general and the environment. Mm -hmm. How big an issue is that? Is healthcare a big contributor to environmental problems? Absolutely. So we know that if healthcare, um, if the healthcare sector was a country, it would be the uh, fifth largest emitter in the world after America, India, China and Russia. Um, so it's got carbon emissions equivalent to Japan as a country. So absolutely massive. Yeah. Wow. So obviously there must be a great emphasis on trying to do what we can to make it as sustainable as possible. Absolutely. And I think there's a real benefit for us as the NHS to do something as a community uh, champion. And I think it's really important that we do that, uh, not just for mitigating against uh, climate change, but also in the way that it's going to impact health moving forward. So we also know that climate change is the the biggest threat to health uh, in the 21st century, as um, the World Health Organization has communicated. So it's just really important that we're doing both kinds of things. We're thinking about the healthcare impacts, but also how we mitigate our impact as an organisation. Wow, I didn't realise that. So it's con- climate change is contributing to poor health. Yeah. In what way? How? Um, so I think the most obvious one is around air quality and respiratory problems. So I think, yeah, we just need to be really mindful that as air quality deteriorates, that actually that that's having a direct impact on our air quality and our respiratory function. Um, but we now have people who are dying of air quality impacts directly related to things like climate change. So it's really important that we think about what we do about that moving forward. Gosh, that's so sad. And I know, I tend to think here in Norfolk, we've got lots of open spaces and quite a lot of greenery. Emma, you're here because you do a lot around on site, the, um, in the ground, in the grounds, like yeah. the nature side of things. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're fairly lucky because we have, we had this new woodland walk put in. Well, the, the woodland walk, really, the major function of woodland walk is actually this shelter belt and serves all those those functions that are sheltered about woods, so that's to cool temperatures, um, absorb um, carbon dioxide, to bolster uh, against the sound of all the, the neighbouring roads and so on. It's aesthetically um, really beautifully pleasing. So the walk was placed inside of it, but the, the major function of that, that area is, is a shelter belt, um, which is, is the core function of what tree stock is, improving air quality and so on. It's really interesting because in the heat of a really hot summer day, you can walk across the car park where it's scorching hot and car bonnets are really hot to touch. And then you can walk through to the um, shelter bow and it, it's degrees cooler. So it serves that clean air, cooling, and also um, absorption of, of all the, the bad toxins that uh, we're all breathing in. And being that we have the largest car parks in East Anglia and the sheer volume of buildings with the heat and the absorption of the heat is the function of, of the trees on the site. They have a lot of work to do and we really have to look after them, conservation and further shelter belts as well. So we've got a lot of work to do. So it looks beautiful, 
but the surrounding area is also encroaching fast, lots more building. So biodiversity is really struggling. No green woodpeckers can be seen around anymore where they were thriving when we first moved here, but the, the whole area. So we need to be working in partnership as well and not seeing ourselves as an island as well. So working. So I'm, I'm painting quite a bleak picture <laughs> because, well, because it is quite bleak if we don't look after it. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, yeah. There's a lot, a lot to do. So Ellen, in terms of our perspective at the NNN, we've got a green plan. Yeah. What does that involve? Um, so the main target around the green plan is around uh, reducing our emissions to what we refer to as net zero by 2040, um, and that's around emissions that we can control. So the biggest one of those that people recognise is things like energy. So that's sort of like transitioning to more renewable energy around our electricity and um, sort of like our gas supply and our heating. And um, we already buy um, clean electricity, which is great. Um, but obviously there's more work to do in terms of energy consumption and those kinds of things. Uh, the Green Plan's also focusing on other stuff. So digital technologies and the kinds of opportunities that that presents in terms of reducing emissions. And then all of the stuff we buy. So the supply chain, I think about 66% of Everything we buy in the NHS is 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 um, reflected in our carbon footprint, and um, so we just need to make sure that we're buying good choices and that we're buying less would be great. Yeah, wherever possible. With with furnishings, we're doing a lot of work with procurement um, on things like furniture, furniture um, to look at made in England, um, sustainability, transport involved, um, product base, chemicals used in the products, recycling and warranties to make sure that we have, and also repairability as well so we stop throwing away and that we get good quality it's going to last for ages and also try it as well so it's not just oh we'll just get a chair and put it there it's it's like let's get a chair that's going to last that's comfortable um that's sustainable and it's going to last a lifetime plus and that we can maintain and look after it yeah there's lots going on yeah that you wouldn't necessarily think about because you think climate change and i think emissions i don't necessarily think buying local furniture but that's really important like you say. But I think things like, you know, it's how far, you know, where the, where has the product come from to, to make that piece of furniture? Is it coming halfway around the world? That obviously has a carbon footprint. And like Emma says, it's really important, you know, wherever possible, you know, buying local is a really good way of, of, of kind of reducing your impact. Yeah, definitely. I've heard of that, like buy local food food and things like that. I've just not necessarily thought about it in such a big organisation in terms of supply and it's hard for an organization as big as ours that's got like kind of those supply chains that you know hundreds of thousands of things that we're purchasing all the time it's really it's really tricky but it's absolutely something we need to kind of consider and how is the buy-in from the organization and from staff with that change um so i think it's really it's really heartening, actually. There's a lot of evidence that says the vast majority of us, so about 91% of NHS staff, really support this agenda. And it's something that I've been really excited to see. The number of people that come to me with ideas and wanting to make a difference is really is really exciting. And I certainly know, having having discussed with, with Simon, our senior responsible officer, that he's really um, hasn't seen this kind of response from, from colleagues um, with other interventions that we've tried to put in place so it's it's really exciting we've got a green champions campaign where we're trying to promote all of these kinds of things and if, if people have any ideas then feel free to let us know at our sustainability at nnuh.nhs.uk um, email and we can do our best to kind of implement implement those within the boundaries that we're obviously working in 
let's talk about small changes then. So I know Doctor Doctor's been implemented fairly recently. Mm-hmm. That's a digital platform for booking appointments or receiving letters, I believe. Yeah. So I'm assuming a lot of the um, background to that was in the hope that it would reduce letters and amount of paper we use. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, our patients' letters in particular is something that's really good for so sort of that for Dr. Doc's platform. For me personally, I, it's a much more preferable way of receiving correspondence. Um, and I know it is for lots of people, not for everyone, and that's absolutely fine. Um, my mother-in-law still prefers to receive letters and obviously we need to be mindful of the fact that, you know, we need to be as accessible as possible for people. But there's all kinds of ways that te- digital technology is supporting us. So things like patient-initiated follow-up, putting not emphasis on the patients, but allowing them to be part of that that journey and making those decisions about their healthcare and not just assuming we need to have follow-up appointments and then being part of that decision-making process all helps to reduce our carbon footprint. Things like virtual ward as well has a real impact on those those kinds of things. If people can be at home, I, th- I think generally people prefer to be at home. Absolutely. Um, and I think it, it's good for their kind of recovery as well. So there's all these kinds of aspects that we're bringing into the organisation to help help with our carbon footprint, but also help deliver better care for patients, which is you know what we're here to do. One thing I know from working here, and I'm sure lots of people know from working in big organisations, not just here, is the amount of email traffic you get. And I've seen on your email signature something along the lines of, if you don't send an email, it saves some trees or something like that. (laughs) Okay, so is every UK adult sent one less email per day? So I'm thinking, um, thank you emails, copying people in that perhaps don't need to see it. So one less of those a day, it would equate to about, I think it's about 17,000 tonnes of CO2 a year, which is equivalent to 81,000 flights to Spain. No. Yes, absolutely. So just be mindful. You know, we don't need to thank people for everything. Um, I always put thanks in advance in my emails. Um, Send links rather than attachments. So that helps reducing carbon footprint as well. You know, if things are on the internet, use a link, don't send an attachment. Because every t- the bigger an email, the more energy it takes to service data centers. And that's that's kind of where the problem is uh, around digital communication. what it's about. So, yeah, it, it, you know, data centers are hugely energy intensive. They need to um, keep all the equipment cool. And that, that obviously has that has a carbon footprint. So, so send less emails. Send less emails and switch stuff off when you don't need it. And again, I'm not advocating stuff that needs to stay on. But, you know, laptops, monitors, etc. Yeah, don't just put your laptop in sleep. Correct. Obviously, since COVID happened and then a lot of people now do hybrid working, there's working from home, I presume, has some benefits because you're talking about less traffic on the roads. But I don't know if there's a statistic to back that up. I think it's quite tricky because obviously a carbon footprint, you know, if you're working at home, your heating's more likely to be on. You're making more cups of tea at home and you can't ignore those kinds of impacts. But generally, I think, yeah, commuting is, is, is a fair chunk of our, our carbon footprint. So about 5% of our carbon footprint is, is us travelling to and from work. So it's really important that, that we kind of consider the opportunities for hybrid working, but nothing's ever simple. No. And going on to transport, obviously we've got the park and ride. Recently, around the Norwich area, we've had some electric buses, haven't we? Can you yep. tell me a bit about that? Absolutely. So first have introduced their the new electric buses um, funded by DFT. And it's great to see them trundling around the plaza. It's fantastic. It's going to be great for air quality, especially in that plaza area where there's quite a lot of sort of vehicle movement. Um, and it's fantastic to see that we're, we're kind of transitioning 
Uh, there's also a lot of evidence in terms of business mileage that people are, are using sort of hybrid and electric cars. And I know that, you know, the salary sacrifice scheme is, is there to support us to to make those, those choices individually as well. Um, there's loads of great work we're doing in this space and not just around public transport, but things like active travel. We've got barrel bikes on site. We, we, you know, we're working with the county council to try and improve kind of like the facilities and the offer around um, active travel. Um, it, it's not going to work for everyone. Um, you know, parking at work it, it is important for the flexible lives we lead and those kinds of things. But, you know, absolutely lots of great things in the right direction for sure. Do we expect there to be more electric buses in the future? Absolutely. And I think it's it's one of those things that, that all providers will be looking for. I know it's been um, instigated on the, the 11 and 12 lines, which are quite, um, you know, frequent in terms of access across the city. But yeah, absolutely. It's definitely the direction we're travelling in, if you excuse the pun. So Emma, we've spoke briefly about the shelter belt, but I know from working here and walking around the site over the summer, there seem to be a few more flower beds where there's wildflowers or is, are they no mow zones? There are. We've, we're introducing um, a new conservation approach to our grounds and it's something we've been looking at and working on for a number of years and working with various different partners and individuals and taking on lots of advice. So our site is quite, is a difficult site. We, we have very little topsoil. So everything that we do on site has got to be really well thought through. So tree varieties, um, plant varieties. And of course, for poor quality soil, wildflowers is perfect. And of course, our bee population is really an all-time low. And so um, we can do quite a lot with very little um, with wildflowers. So we've been setting designated wildflower areas, which we'll see more of, and introducing rarer plant species, which seem in some of the orchids, they seem to really like the site anyway, which is great. Um, and then Nomo may also introduce Nomo for longer periods in different areas. So the area, for example, near the, the helipad, it was just teeming with wildlife. Um, there's no need to cut the grass, cut the grass, just it won't grow to any great extent anyway. And the the number of bees in that area, just little cut out honeybees, you know, and it's not a, a danger or anything um, that's that's negative, it's just positive and it's just teeming and beautiful. And it's really interesting. So I even seen a couple of staff members as I was walking around and taking photographs, just go and lie in it, lie down in the beauty. Then that's just um just lovely to see because not too close to the helipad. Not too close to the helipad, no. But that So yeah, we are we're we're doing a lot with wildflowers, um, no mowing tree varieties and looking then at, at the beds and, and what moisture has been needed by the trees and tree types and whether their roots are um, surface roots or whether they go into the ground and, and just really the whole wider picture and what we can do to also ensure the best soil quality um, for the longer term as well. Because in an urban area, your tree stock is, is half the lifespan of in a country area. And we are an urban area, but we're an also an urban heat island, which makes it even more difficult. And we're not like a city centre area, which is ancient, where a tree has been planted and the topsoil hasn't been taken off. You know, it's got something good to get to. We're actually, we've had all of our topsoil taken away because we're a massive new build, 2001, 2002 hospital. So we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Still, yeah. It is nice when you see um, staff or, or patients and visitors sit on a bench and enjoying the the environment and, and seeing, you know, the nice trees. Have we got 20 different types of trees? We've got, um, we've got actually a list. So yeah. If anybody ever wanted to know what tree, a bit, variety, of, yes. a bit of trivia, we, we could, um, we're working on a list of 
um, all the tree variants on site. Um, and we have from the rarest to just, you know, kind of a, a pear. We've got fruits, trees, we've got hazels, we've got some some plums as well. So we've got lots of lots going on in varieties of trees and crab apples and different variants. So they're all in different areas, um, quite strategically placed for some, um, because obviously then some need to grow really huge, some will not grow, some's lifespan is that is only going to be twenty years, thirty years, such as some of the birches. The cherries are really in trouble, so we need to rethink um, the the cherries and work out how. But we do we do have a, a list basically um, of of the trees with some help. I can't take all credit for that. <laughs> I was with some help um, from um, beautiful volunteers who come in and help. So let's talk a little bit about um, what we're doing in our clinical areas, Ellen. Okay, um, because I would imagine that's where it's the biggest challenge because if you think about it, you're in a hospital and someone's having an operation. There are certain things you need to do that safely to stop infections and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what can we practically do or what are we doing to, to improve our sustainability in those areas? Okay, so theatres is a is a, a big one, as you might suspect, in terms of energy use and those kinds of things. And we're really lucky at NNN that we have uh, Dr. Amy Greengrass, who is our clinical lead for sustainability. She's a paediatric anaesthetist, so has got loads of great ideas in this space. And it's great to have advocates in the ground in the divisions to kind of really kind of like do ideas and lead projects themselves. Um, in theatres in particular, I think there are two main ones we're doing. Is, is we're kind of, we've moved away from uh, an anaesthetic gas called Desflurane, I think is the way of, of describing it, which has a, a, a really big um, carbon footprint. We're looking at all all the different kinds of um, anaesthetic gases that we use. So nitrous oxide, which is used as an anaesthetic gas, but also uh, when people are, are having babies. So it's mixed with oxygen in terms of gas and air. So this nitrogen um, oxide, nitrous oxide, sorry, is a, a, a really polluting environmental gas so it's 300 times more potent than than carbon dioxide so it's really important that, that we monitor and use um that appropriately um a couple of people have suggested that that you know we could give people spoons to bite on instead which is not what i have <laughs> at all um, but you know we just need to be mindful of the decisions we're making and the products we're using so it's great to have people on on board um to support things like that so things like um you know just making sure that we capture those gases and dispose of them appropriately is something that we're looking at What about like gloves and stuff? I have seen a campaign. Is it gloves off? Is that a tricky area or is it actually better not to wear gloves and just have good hand hygiene? Um, so I think this is a great project and this is a really easy win that people can do in clinical areas. We see people all the time using gloves um, inappropriately and uh, we're working really close with infection prevention and control and uh, their argument is there is no substitute for good hand hygiene. Now, of course, there are certain circumstances where we need to use gloves to protect ourselves. You know, nobody is suggesting that we don't do that. But, you know, if you're if you're touching patients and, and there's no kind of bodily fluids involved or using a laptop, for example, and I've seen colleagues using and with gloves while they're using their laptop, then it's just not appropriate from a, a hygiene point of view. Or a sustainability point of view, because a lot of these gloves are, you know, the carbon footprint of gloves is again quite phenomenal. If you, you know, a pack of those those plastic gloves with a hundred in is the same has the same carbon footprint as you driving twenty miles, and you wouldn't drive oh. you wouldn't drive twenty miles for no reason. Um, so you know, don't just grab for a glove for no reason. Use it and use it appropriately. Use it when you clinically need to. Did um, COVID 
present more of a challenge because you had to, everyone had to be very protected with PPP. And then did, was it just a struggle to go back from that? I think we're still struggling to go back from that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And COVID presented all kinds of challenges. And I wasn't here, but, you know, I think I think we can all all understand the, the need for heightened PPE in, in those kinds of scenarios. But it's just reminding ourselves of, of the practice that we used to do and not relying too much on plastic. It has its place. Absolutely, it has its place for, for cleanliness and for all kinds of other other good things. But, you know, use it appropriately. And I think that's something that's really important. And when you throw it away, put it in the right bin. And I think that's something that would be really good to remind colleagues to, to make sure that we're putting the right thing in the right bin. Uh, gloves do go in clinical waste, for the record. Do they? Yes. And what do we do with our clinical waste? So clinical waste is is currently burnt at a very high temperature. Again, for obvious reasons, you need to make sure that you're removing all the germs and the, the potential infectious uh, material. But it's really important that we put the right thing in the right bin. So if you put something that could have been recycled in a clinical waste bin and it's burned at a high temperature, the carbon footprint of that is 50 times greater. So just, you know, so a reusable coffee cup, rinse it out and put it in the recycling bin. And I have seen them in, and Coke bottles and cans in clinical waste. Oh, so come on. And we have um, recycling bins for patients as well, don't we, and visitors around the site. Yep, absolutely. So they're, they're everywhere um, in site. We've, we've still got an awful lot of clinical waste bins on site as a kind of hangover from, from COVID. But we're working with our Serco colleagues and, and other FM providers, uh, you know, across the estate to kind of really drive that change and just kind of help people make good choices. Because we are a large site and there seems to be constant development on site, when we're building new additions, like the um, new diagnostics centre, are those new buildings taking the lead on being more sustainable? Absolutely. And we need to also use each project as a new bar that we set. Um, so I, uh, my role within um, those is, is for all the interior finishes um, and, and colour schemes and the arts. Um, but in that... Um, folds the things like the flooring and the handrails and the doors and those and and really we are looking at the sustainability credentials of every company that provides for us but also companies in themselves are beginning to pick up their game on it considerably as well so flooring companies and I won't mention names because that doesn't seem quite right but um, flooring companies um, are now taking away their old floors recycling them bringing them back but they're also looking at their their product bases as well, and um, the, the chemical side of them and the danger to the environment as well. So there's a whole group of sustainability and um, and and being much more uh, with natural products rather than, you know, mixes of different plastics and so on. So there, there, there are, there's, it's limited what we can do to some respects, but not in, in others. So, for example, the furnishings, the floors, um, the paints, where we're looking at, basically all of of that the environment and the bigger picture that it sits within and the company ethos as well and the company credentials and and if they're actually selling a product that isn't real um you know we kind of do all of those due diligence so that that we ensure that we've got all the right product bases and then that fits into um, the actual architecture of buildings is much more eco-minded on the product base within the buildings themselves um and so whether there's solar panels or whether there's um, you know, the heating systems and those is much more um, considered for the environment. And and everything that we do in, in those then sets 
the bar of any refurbishments that we do. So refurbishments on site within the main building would potentially take up the flooring and that will be taken away by the flooring manufacturer and then they will recycle it and it will be a, a recycled product that comes back. So there, there's all of those kind of nuances behind the scenes that go on with all the, the product bases. Um, and we do a lot of reading and a lot of work with the different company representation to make sure that everything is aligned and, and right for the environment, yeah, in many ways. That's fantastic because I don't think necessarily people realise the amount of work that is going on behind the scenes to make sure that we're being as sustainable as we can. With our- yeah, well, it seems that many, um, that, that the wider community is beginning to fight for us as well because they know the hospitals um, are are really, you know, not great in the green side of things, but we have Ellen now, so that we've got some hope. Um, so they're not great on the uh, um, on the green side of, of things. And so other companies, you know, are upping their game also, and you begin to see it, it is spreading and it is change and it is happening, but we just need to make it all happen a little bit quicker. Yeah. So just thought of to kind of finish the conversation, I would like to ask you, or both of you, what do you think is really the the one or two things that both staff can do and then patients and visitors can do to sort of help us with our efforts and our green plan and our our green ambitions. Helen, what do you think? I think my one ask is think about it. Um, you know, there will always be cost pressures um, personally and uh, and at work. Um, but just think, is, is there a better choice? And, you know, sustainability is part of that decision-making process. Do I need to travel? Is there a is there a more sustainable thing I could buy? Uh, could digital help me deliver, um, you know, my uh, service? Uh, you know, all of those kinds of things, and and put the right thing in the right bin, people. Anything for me? Um, but well, for me, I to love nature, to love the outdoors, to love the green, um, to be mindful and supportive of it so that um, we and understand the benefits that that brings and also to to take walks in woodland areas and reap the health care benefits yourself okay they know health benefits. Beer has be, be, be healthy um, because because then that all feeds into a, a happier healthier community that that's less reliant on the hospital settings themselves so I, I feel you know walks, good things out, you know, nature. Thank you to both my guests, Ellen and Emma, for taking the time to talk to me about the impact healthcare has on the environment and, importantly, what we're doing here at the North Norwich to try to become more sustainable. I hope there were some useful nuggets of information in this episode for you to think about or pass on. I, for one, will definitely be trying to send fewer emails. As always, please share this episode with friends, family, colleagues who you think might be interested. And remember, you can look back at our podcast library on your podcast platform for any episodes that you may have missed. Until next time, take care.